Hello and welcome to the D&D Roundtable on the Tome Show Podcast Network. I'm your host, James Intercasso. If you're listening for the first time, welcome to the show. If you've been here before, do me a favor. Go give us a great rating on iTunes. It helps new listeners find us. Seriously, it only takes 30 seconds of your time. To encourage you to do just that, I read one new five-star rating verbatim each episode and credit the person who left it. Make me say anything you want, but keep it clean, people. This is a family D&D news podcast. Today's five-star review is entitled, Why Go Anywhere Else? And it is from Benjin78. Benjin78 says... Why go anywhere else when everything you need is on The Tome Show? The Tome Show is my go-to source of news, updates, and info about upcoming gaming-related events and D&D products. They regularly host the industry's top game designers, which provides loads of great ideas and inspiration. I especially appreciate the Roundtable episodes with host James Andracasso. It is a great way to stay current with the hobby and get a wide variety of perspectives and opinions. If you only have time to listen into one gaming-related podcast, you can't do better than The Tome Show. Wow. Benjin78, thank you so much. That is a huge, glowing review, and it is actually at the top of our review pile. We need more. So please head on over to iTunes and give us a new five-star review so I can give you a shout-out. Please use the affiliate links at thetomeshow.com whenever you shop on Amazon or the DMs Guild to help support the show. Just go to thetomeshow.com, click on the links in the show notes for this episode or any other episode, and then click the banner for Amazon or the DMs Guild and shop as you normally would. It's super easy, it doesn't cost you anything more, and puts a few copper pieces into the Tome Show's belt pouch so we can keep bringing you great content. We'd also like to thank our sponsor for this podcast, NobleKnight.com. They're a brick-and-mortar game store where out-of-print is available again. Noble Knight will even buy your old gaming products that you aren't using anymore. That's how they get all of those great out-of-print products. My product pick from Noble Knight for this episode is Bronchosaurus Rex. Uh, I had never heard of this game, and I was looking for a great product to highlight, and man, I think I landed it. So this uh, out-of-print game, which was published in 2001, uh, in Bronchosaurus Rex, Dino Ranchers Herd Stegosaurus, T-Rex families raid mining colonies, and Velociraptor tribes plot with their human allies to secure prime hunting grounds. Rural sheriffs defend towns against bank robbers armed with alien weapons. Bronco riders lead their Broncos, slang for Triceratops, across the plains. The Confederate Dino Warriors oppose Union industrialists. Uh, So, essentially, this is uh, some crazy dinosaur Civil War mashup. Uh, People should definitely check it out. Like I said, it is out of print, and right now it is 25 bucks from Noble Knight Games. Let's hear a quick word from them. Support for the Tome Show comes from Noble Knight. From Noble Knight. Noble Knight? Knight. Knight? Thousands of tabletop gamers use a Noble Knight to sell new and out-of-print games and products at a discounted price. Noble Knight will also buy back the game products you aren't using anymore. NobleKnight.com, the brick-and-mortar online store where out-of-print is available again. Tell them the Tome Show sent you. I use Noble Knight. You do? I love it. All right, today's episode is the Roundtable Live 
panel from Gen Con. That was with Rudy Basso, Liz Tice, Sean Merwin, Dan Dillon, and Jeff Greiner. We had a blast. Thanks to everybody who came to see us live at Gen Con. I know there are other things you could be doing. Uh, We got a lot of really great questions that we discuss, as you are about to hear. And then we also talk about the latest unearthed Arcana article, Uncertain Faith, uh, and we talk about the announcement that Roll20 has an official license with D&D. So let's roll that right now. All right, we're recording. Hello and welcome to the D&D Roundtable. I'm your host, James Intricasso, and I'm here with an amazing panel of people. Uh, So all the way on my right is the one and only Rudy Basso. He's the man, the myth, the legend, and uh, my full-time Gen Con partner. Uh, So, uh, and also creator of the Have Spellbook Will Travel podcast. Uh, And then uh, in between us is Liz Tice. Liz is an extremely intelligent commentator who worked in the games industry before she gave it up for something more stable. Uh, and uh, and, <laughs> and she's also uh, a great dungeon master of oh, a 5th edition D&D game. Um, so uh, excited to have you here, Liz. Thank you. Uh, we also have Sean Merwin, uh, who is the architect of all of your Dungeons & Dragons experiences here at Gen Con that are involved in the Adventurers League, right? If, if you're playing for Bald Man Games or playing Adventurers League stuff, then I had some sort of fingerprint on the adventure, so I apologize ahead of time. Yeah. That's yeah. Great. <laughs> uh, so, yes, thank you for all of the work that you did. Uh, because I think, right, even your uh, your Season 5 opening adventure is available to play as yep. well. The, the preview of the uh, Storm King's Thunder storyline is playing up... Uh, in the Hyatt, where all there's all those games are happening. So, yeah. Oh, that's awesome. That's awesome. Written by, yeah, me. <laughs> <laughs> written by Sean, and then if not written by Sean, edited and rewritten by Sean. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so. Although, although the maps were worked on by my daughter Aurora. Oh, oh nice! She's in the audience. <laughs> Woo! Yes. Uh, and then, of course, all the way at the end of the table here, we have the one and only Jeff Griner, the architect of the Tome Show Network and the original nader of the Tome Show podcast. Should I say something, or is it okay to wave? You can just wave. Okay. I, that's great podcast, <laughs> yeah. I think. I'm good at this by now. Right, right. <laughs> uh, and joining us later will be uh, game designer Dan Dillon of the Four Horsemen. Um, so he's on his way from another event. But uh, let's kick things off with our get-to-know-you question, as we always do here on the Roundtable, which is... How is your Gen Con going? Uh, Rudy Basso, let's start with you. Oh, it's going super swell. Um, yesterday we did something like eight hours of Edge of Empire. Nice. Fantasy flight. Yeah, two yeah. different games. One with the wonderful Rich Howard, the other one with Mr. Chris West. Oh, is yeah. a map maker of Map Mastery? Yeah, his company is called Map Mastery, Map and they have a... A booth in like the all the way back in the 600s. Like you go past Artist Alley, mm-hmm. and then his booth is there, and you can buy every map he's ever made uh, for fifty five dollars as a digital file. Yes, that uh-huh. you can import into Roll Twenty or any other yeah. virtual table you use, and then you have a ton of really cool maps. Yeah, he is an amazing designer, especially yes. his sci fi maps. Yes, if you're into sci fi. 
His maps are incredible. Since we were playing Star Wars, it was wonderful. Yeah. He was like map after map after map. <laughs> yeah. So it was a lot of fun yesterday, and I'm looking forward to the rest of the convention. Yeah, yeah. So uh, that was awesome. I spend all of my time at Gen Con with Rudy, so uh, <laughs> how his con is going is how mine is going. There you go. Uh, Liz Tice, how is your Gen Con? This is a different Gen Con it for is, you, right? It's yeah. very different for me. Um, so for the past three years, I've been an exhibitor, uh, which, you know, was great in a whole different way but this has been the first time I've had more than 30 minutes to explore the exhibit hall in a given period of time which is great so this today I was able to just walk the exhibit hall for about three hours with my little sister um, just going up and down the aisle zigzagging as we call it um, <laughs> but taking our sweet time which is just glorious um, I have to say though I think that actually being an exhibitor on the uh, foam floors that they have in the actual booth is actually better for your feet than for the <laughs> attendees. My feet hurt. <laughs> I'm like seriously considering just spending the evening with my feet in a tub, just <laughs> soaking them. Uh, but in, except for the feet situation, um, Gen Con is going great. I love being able to spend it with my family. My parents and my sisters are all nerds too. So it's just a family affair. Nice. That's awesome. Well, uh, you get to experience Gen Con as many of us do now, which is really, really great. So uh, that is exciting. Uh, a person who experiences Gen Con as probably no one else does is Sean <laughs> Rowan. Uh, Sean, how's your Gen Con going? It's, it's strange because every other year uh, I'll bring my family and then the next year I won't and I'll work 24-7. And I have my family with me this year, so it's been great. Uh, we've been through the, the exhibit hall several times. Uh, Spending, I don't even, I don't, I'm not going to ask how much. <laughs> but we've also got to play some games. We played Keith Baker's Phoenix Dawn Command uh, game earlier with Teo Sabadeo running it. Mm-hmm. And it was, it was a great time. And tomorrow I will be back up running D&D in, uh, for the Bald Man games. Oh, that's nice, great. nice. Yep. That's awesome. I should be DMing tomorrow, yep. Wow, nice, nice. And Jeff, how is your con? Uh, my con has been different for me this year as well because I'm used to being the guy who runs around to record all the seminars. And so I just sit in seminar rooms for six hours a day and maybe I get in one game over the week. Uh, but this year, since uh, we can divide and conquer a little bit and James is doing uh, seminar recordings, um, I have arranged to sit in on the D&D experience table and I'm recording an, a, an actual play of what it's like. Uh, to be in the D&D experience for a 16-hour like mini campaign with the same DM and the same players the whole time. Um, so I'm, I'm I'm playing games at Gen Con for the first time, <laughs> which is really cool. I like playing games. <laughs> and, and even D&D, like I know a lot of people come to Gen Con like, I want to try all this new stuff that I never mm-hmm. get to do and whatever. That, and that's great. But I DM when I'm at home. I come to Gen Con and I get to play D&D, which is, which is also a unique experience for me. So, very so, different. Very so yeah, different. it's been great, although I'm exhausted. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, and it's, I mean, it is. It is an amazing time, certainly. Uh, so we're going to do what we normally do, which is talk a little bit about news items. Um, and then we're going to take some questions from you guys. And at some point, Dan Dillon is going to run in here. Uh, or not. Uh, so we'll, we'll definitely see. Um, but our first news item we're going to talk about is actually uh, 
Roll20, uh, yes, uh, who has three staffers here in the audience. Uh, <laughs> it was recently announced that they got a, uh, a license with Wizards of the Coast uh, to make Dungeons and Dragons, or to sell Dungeons and Dragons officially licensed products. They are selling the Lost Mines of Fandelver now. Uh, they are taking pre-orders for the Storm King's Thunder. Um, and you can also, they're, they're preparing a backlog of uh, all the Watsi adventure material. So with the knowledge that they are here in the audience and, uh, and that this is being recorded, uh, why don't we talk a little bit about it? Uh, as everyone knows, I play all of my games online through Roll20, uh, so I am super excited about this announcement. And biased. Yes, and super biased, <laughs> and super duper biased. Um, so, but uh, but yeah, it was great news. Uh, I think it's I think it's pretty awesome. Uh, Rudy, what do you think about it? I also play all my games through Roll20, <laughs> and we're playing a homebrew game with you now. But when we were done, we were discussing playing Strahd, Curse of Strahd, and I was excited to play it, but wasn't sure with maps if we could use it. And now that this announcement has come out, I can do that. It's uh, <laughs> incredibly exciting. I'm super pumped to give them my money. Yes, yeah, yeah, that is that is going to be great. Um, so, and it is really nice to have everything loaded up yes, uh, in the table exactly. for you. Uh, Liz, what do you think about the Roll20 announcement? Uh, so I was very surprised to see it, for one, um, just because... Uh, be, having worked in a company that went through some of licensing stuff with Wizards of the Coast, it's difficult. Um, and uh, <laughs> it's, they're, they're, they're difficult to work with sometimes. Um, and I'm going to be very interested to see what the pricing is mm -hmm. um, for some of the bigger books. I have a feeling World 20 users will have sticker shock. Um, but that's just my gut feeling. Um, uh, <laughs> In terms of, am I excited for it personally as a DM? That is not my um, virtual tabletop of choice. Um, both, most of my, uh, the systems that I use are based on the people I knew from working um, the company previously that I worked with oh, and, sure. and yeah. business relationships and using the products from the people that I worked with uh, professionally and Right. That was... And we should also <laughs> mention, right, your husband uh, yes. <laughs> still works for that company. Yes, uh, yeah. So, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so um, I, I mainly use uh, Fantasy Grounds, and uh, that's going to continue to be my virtual tabletop of choice. Gotcha. So when you say you think that the Roll20 users are going to experience some sticker shock... Yes. Are you saying in comparison to other Roll20 20 products or compared to Fantasy Grounds, which no, is notoriously expensive? I think that... <laughs> I, I don't know the actual prices, but I know right. a lot. a big complaint for Fantasy Grounds users um, and just D&D players in general was the price for Fantasy Grounds D&D 5th edition stuff. And that, I'm, I'm certain, and I'm sure this won't surprise you, had to do a lot with what was required sure. by Wizards of the Coast sure. for price. Not, and yeah, I would be grounds. very, very surprised if Roll20 doesn't have a similar situation that they're dealing yeah, with. Yeah, no, I, I, I wouldn't be surprised if the price of the individual books was yeah. similar, yeah. but not having the subscription fee on top of it, because um, Roll20 is free to use, right? Yep. Right. Yes. So that, yeah. That, so that, that I think will help. It'll at least be a slightly cheaper option than uh, Fantasy Grounds. I would imagine. Right. But but I don't play with either. So you guys know more than I do. Right. Right. <laughs> um, I, I wonder though if they'll have to compensate for that lack of subscription Maybe. with the price of the packages. So we'll see. Because I have a feeling Wizards is going to try to get a comparable cut, no matter how it works. Mm. Mm. Because to them, they're looking at this is the value of my books. I want to see an equivalent value out of the partners I work with. 
and they don't care how that comes to them as long as it comes to them. Well, I know, right, I know that uh, Lost Minds is 20 bucks, which is what it would be if you bought it off the shelf at a, at the a yeah, mm-hmm. at the starter set, if you bought mm-hmm. it off the shelf at like a Toys R Us or something. And the pre-order of Storm King's Thunder is... The, 49. So it's the same as if you bought the, the hardcover book. Yeah, Wizard says the Yeah, Wizard. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. So, um, and again, that makes sense. And it's good that Storm King, that you can pre order Storm King's Thunder mm-hmm. uh, from, you know, from many virtual tables. Uh, because if you want to play it on a virtual table, then you, you now don't, if you, you know, it's unlike. Princes of the Apocalypse, where you might already have the book, but if you want to play it on Roll20, you'll have to pay again. Or if you want to play on Fantasy Grounds, you'll have to pay again. This way, you know, you can order it on your virtual tabletop of choice and have it, which is good. Right. Um, So, yeah. Yeah, and it's nice to see licensing deals coming out for more places. It gives me hope for... Uh, for seeing even more digital licensing deals come out, right? I would love to see that. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Sean, what about you? How do you feel about the Roll20 uh, licensing news? I'm glad to see more options Mm -hmm. to play games. I think no matter what, that's going to be good um, to get the market. And as you say, to see Wizards releasing their grip a little bit on the brand to let other people make their products with the D&D license is, is good. Uh, I wish all this stuff had been out 20 years ago. Because <laughs> that's when I really would have had the time to play a lot online. Uh, but you know, as we've seen, the tools that you have to use now are much better than you know, text, right. <laughs> which we were doing 20 years ago. Right, yeah. Uh, as a freelancer who doesn't work directly for Watsi, but kind of um, you know, makes a, a small amount of money doing peripheral things, I'm wondering how it's going to affect me, and I don't know yet. Mm-hmm. I don't know what the Adventurers League is going to be able to put up. And since the the writers for the Adventurers League kind of don't get paid by Watsi anymore, they only get you know a certain commission or a certain royalty. If things are sold on Roll20, but not on DMs Guild, or if things are sold through the DMs Guild to mm-hmm. the players, but they can download... You know, all that's up in the air, and I'm wondering, you know, am I going to have to start paying people to who are good with graphics, which I am not, to make the maps? <laughs> you know, it, it, so it's all up in the air for me. Mm-hmm. And I, so while I'm excited to see the industry expanding, the business side of things is still the Wild West when it right. comes, to, comes to digital. So you know, I'm hoping it all works out well. And we've talked and talked and talked on this show and others about people being willing to spend the money that these things are worth rather than saying, I'm not going to spend two bucks for four hours of fun because I can get it somewhere else for free. You know, I hope this helps expand that and makes people more willing to see what their fun is worth. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, you know, I think that that helps. It helps that, um, you know, certain things have no barrier to entry to get new people in, and then the hope would be that once they get into the hobby, they support the hobby um, rather than you know I've I've seen people pirating DMs Guild PDFs that cost fifty cents, uh, which is you know why <laughs> right yeah <laughs> uh, you probably had to go through more than fifty cents worth of trouble to find it you know um, so but uh, yeah yeah and it, I think it'll be interesting I think you know maybe there's some way they can work with one bookshelf so if somebody buys something on the DMs Guild you know yeah uh, 
Travis uh, Travis Woodall's maps could be loaded right in, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah, well, yeah that, that kind of thing. And that's yeah, you know, that's what I'm wondering. That's what mm -hmm. I have no control over. So you know, know. we'll see what. I know. Should we call one of them up to fill Dan's chair? Should we <laughs> <laughs> put them on the hot seat? No. Uh, <laughs> yeah, and and like like on one hand, that would be great. Like you could buy it once and see stuff populated mm -hmm. other places. On the other hand, they've been so slow and hesitant to even go to to licensees uh -huh. anyway. Mm -hmm. The idea of not just going to licensees, but then but then helping those licensees negotiate cross pollination <laughs> seems a really ambitious goal at this point. Yes. Highly doubtful. Yeah. So, and I know you were about to ask me my thoughts. So, <laughs> yes. I'll just keep talking. Yeah. No, that's great. Yeah. Um, keep talking. Uh, and I don't have too much more to say that, that other than what's already been said. I mean, my first impression was, oh. Well, good. It's about time. Right? Yes. Um, yeah. Definitely. Because the the good news when the OGL was was announced and, mm -hmm. and all the, and we were able to start seeing third party products coming out and that's awesome. Um, and so it continues to be a hope that we can see the the brand and the game expanded to other other venues. Um, it, it's it's and it's a weird balance like. I understand they're trying to walk a fine line, right? In third edition, they opened the floodgates wide open, and you had a the, the third edition glut where ninety percent of it was like, ah, I, what am I doing? What am I looking at, right? Mm -hmm. uh, and then in fourth edition, they closed the gates way down, and just nobody else produced content except wizards. Uh, so I, I understand they're trying to to slowly open the floodgates mm -hmm. and very carefully mm -hmm. do so. Uh, and my hope is that the more as we see more and more of these, um, and, and you know, as they as we hear new ones being announced and recognize that old ones haven't gone away. Uh, it's not like, it's not like, uh, what was it, Project Morningstar, Dungeon Scape. Yeah, yeah, yeah. right, right. They, announced it, they started it and then it went away before they opened it up and started working with somebody else or whatever, right? If we just see, keep seeing more added, then I think that that's a good sign. And the, the one thing that I do want to say as far as the freelance world goes, um, Knowing from personal experience, because I wrote an adventure for Roll20, that they are now giving away for free um, <laughs> the Master's Vault available right now. Uh, <laughs> uh, right, shameless plug. Um, and knowing of what I've heard about people who work with uh, other digital companies like Smiteworks and like Lone Wolf, they are uh, much fairer to freelancers who work with them as far as compensation goes uh, than maybe a, a pen and paper company uh, is. And I, th you know, industry standards are just different. Um, and uh, and so I, I do have faith that while it is the Wild West, hopefully once law and order comes, everybody will get what they are supposed to get. Um, so I, that would be really cool um, to, to see the way that goes. Uh, why don't we move on and talk about the Unearthed Arcana article, uh, The Faithful. So uh, this article, real top level, uh, brings a couple of divine subclasses uh, into the Wizards D&D uh, 5th Edition rule set through the Warlock and through the Wizard. Uh, so you have an, a new otherworldly patron, the Seeker, and a new arcane tradition, which is pronounced Thurgy. Uh, so says James. Yeah, so says me. Uh, <laughs> Ultimate official on all things pronunciation. Right, yeah, on all things pronunciation uh, with my New Jersey accent. Um, so, uh, but yeah, so so that's sort of the top level is, hey, these, you know, are more divine-flavored uh, paths for these arcane classes. So if you would uh, like to uh, talk about them, uh, why don't we start with Sean? 
um, since Sean printed out his copy and, <laughs> and brought it and has notes in the margin. Oh, uh, I think uh, I think we should start with him. So what do you think about, let's start with the otherworldly patron, the Seeker, Sean. What do you think about the Seeker? I'm going to start really top level and saying when you're designing new mechanics, you really want to hit three things. Does it fit the flavor of what you're trying to do? Mechanically, uh, does it work? And then is it fun? Mm-hmm. Is mm-hmm. it evocative? And so with with a lot of these, it's very hard to hit all three. Mm. If you can even hit two of the three, you've usually done a pretty good job. And I think with both of them overall, they, they do a good job of hitting at least two of the three to start with. Uh, it's the the faith-based mechanics of D&D over the years have been interesting because each god has its own story. And so it's a very easy place to go to differentiate one cleric from another cleric from, from another cleric. Um, in terms of the warlock, then... Uh, giving them this faith-based ability to to draw upon their power um, is is interesting, but you're still only talking about one god. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's it just it seems to me a little rough at this point. I'm not sure that it's hitting the full effect of a full pantheon of gods right? Uh, by just saying there's this one thing. Yes. Uh, that, that's my overall not getting down into the nitty-gritty of you know, the mechanics. Sure. Yeah, and I think that that's uh, uh, from a story perspective, that was the first thing I noticed too. It was like, oh, not all gods are like this. Uh, not Even not all D&D gods, right, are like this. Um, so, uh, yeah, I, I think that's a great observation. Yeah, that was, I mean, I know you're going to get to me eventually and... and Let's do it right now. Now, now it's relevant. <laughs> it's, it's my hey, listen, you're the boss. My, you're the Tome Show right, boss. Right. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but specifically on this Warlock Pact, um, it, it's very clear that it was designed to match this this Greyhawk god Celestan, right? Mm-hmm. Or however it's pronounced. Celestian. Sure. Um, I have now doubled my experience with Greyhawk. So. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> um, but but and in and, and the description it, it's like well if you're playing in the realms it could be these two gods if it's Eberron you could use it there if it's uh, what's the other one Dragonlance you could use this god or whatever um, and most of my experience is, is in the realms I, and I look at those two gods and then I look at the mechanics that they come up with and I'm like well I mean if you squint real hard it could kind of sort of fit that god but not really mm-hmm. like it's clearly uh, Mike Merle showing his love for Greyhawk because he's a Greyhawk guy first and foremost right right so, sure so sure. He, he designed a, a warlock pact for a Greyhawk god because he loves Greyhawk and, mm-hmm. and, and that's and that's, that's what fun. you get to do when you run D&D that's absolutely yeah. <laughs> uh, but I don't know if I feel like it's entirely honest to say that this this pact fits the other gods particularly well Gotcha. Because the themes just aren't the same. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. They're definitely very different. And you yourself are a big realms head, uh, so you know you know a lot about. Well, I'm not the an realms. expert, but I'm a fan. Right. So. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I'm a, I'm More so than I am, yeah. I would say. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. Uh, Rudy, what'd you think? Um, I think they're interesting. I'm not so wild about the third G tradition. Oh. Uh, sorry, Liz. Just. Does not seem. I, I disagree, but go ahead. Um, <laughs> in the same way that I don't like the fighter who can cast wizard spells, and I don't like the thief who can cast wizard spells, and that I, I don't want to say it feels just tacked on as like, mm-hmm. oh, and now let's just combine these two classes. But I mean, multiclassing is there for a reason as well. So I'm not sure if this is a better wizard or a better 
cleric mm-hmm. as opposed to yeah, sure. I'm just the combining sometimes it, it becomes a worse at both kind of thing. Yeah. Rather than good at one thing. Yeah, yeah. No, I, th- I think I, I hear what you're saying. You don't want, uh, you don't, you feel like you're not getting... I feel like chocolate is best as chocolate. Peanut butter is best <laughs> as peanut butter. There's no wow. reason to combine chocolate and peanut butter. Well, you're just wrong. Right? Wait, 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 wait. you saying you're anti-Reese's? It's a good comparison to make. Yeah, I was gonna say, I think it might be the most beloved candy that you just smeared here. So, uh, yeah, so, well, why don't we do, yeah, we'll just open it up. Liz, uh, you know, Thurgy, you love Thurgy. Well, let's see. When I read all of this, I don't, I don't have like three points. I basically just go through it and go, would I want this potentially in one of my games? And, or have a player that I think would really love to have this as an option. Mm-hmm. Um, and I immediately thought of uh, my game that I'm playing right now, and I have a, a, a player that's playing um, a wizard, but uh, he also has this religious side of, to his character background, and I was like, oh my gosh, this would be perfect for him. And I'm reading through it, and, and I, I love what they put together here. Now, it might not be perfect mechanic-wise, so we might have to house rule some stuff, sure. but it seems really really inventive and creative and it hit my uh my approved uh list of one of would i want this in my game the warlock i was a little meh um but i i really like the thurgy yeah with the thurgy they're saying uh it's a god of magic yeah so therefore it fits yeah right uh, as opposed to the other one right and so yeah, you know, what they're doing here is in, th- in third edition they had the Mystic Theurge, mm. which was a, mm, which was a class right. which if would you if say you that uh, say game, that class name again just so I can get the pronunciation. Theurge is how I oh Theurge got it. <laughs> that, that's how I say it. Yeah, that's what I was saying yeah, the whole but time. But I'm not from New Jersey, yeah. so. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> but and so what they're capturing here is that ability to go back and forth and mm-hmm. find the best spell for the job, which gotcha. was the Mystic Theurge's thing. And that's what that's what you're doing here. You're able to, you know, have a, a basically a cleric that uses wizard spells or a wizard that uses cleric spells, depending on how you're feeling at the at the moment. Yeah, I kind of feel like though that that they're doing it in a more interesting way with this version. I yeah. think the Mystic yeah. Theurge from Third Edition was um, a way that once you reached a certain level of multi-class, that you could continue to multi-class cleric wizard without the penalties. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I feel like they tried to say, well, how can we kind of get that flavor while coming at it from a different angle? And I think some of the mechanics that they have are, are a little clunky, but it's it's playtest quality, right? I think the, the channel arcana thing, in the way it's described as being able to use various channel divinities plus these other things, it's kind of weird. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think it could be smoothed out. I think it could be uh, made cleaner, but I like the direction it's going. Like, I don't yeah. know that I would want to play a, a Theurge wizard at this point, but I'm interested to see the final version of it and after they've worked on it and cleaned it up and, and made it, you know, right. sizzle. Well, let me throw something out there to Rudy's point about not mixing chocolate and peanut butter. Um, <laughs> d- would you rather play a wizard cleric or would you rather play this or does it depend on what you're going for. You know what I mean? I am cur- I am currently playing in our Ravenloft game a cleric with the Arcana 
sphere. Oh, okay. oh so, so you're doing so that. Yeah, and, and I'm cool. having a lot of fun playing that. Right. Without without this. Now, as, as we increase in levels, I don't know if that same thing will be true, but right. but for now I'm happy with that. Mm-hmm. Not saying that this won't be great, just... Well, and, that, okay. and that's a way to be a cleric that dabbles in wizardry. Right. This is a way of being a wizard that dabbles in being a cleric. Right. Uh, and multi-classing is, is a, I want to be both completely. Right. Or, or right. half of both, I guess, through these points. <laughs> gotcha. Um, so one is, one has a little bit, one has so a little. So, yeah, I mean, I feel like, a... like if I was going to play, uh, if I wanted to be a really priestly wizard, then right. I would do multi-class. If I wanted to do a wizard who was a faithful and an adherent or whatever to mm-hmm. the god of magic, then I might go this route. Gotcha. Mm-hmm. And Liz, you were going to say something about the warlock. Oh, I don't remember. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, I just was underwhelmed. Uh, summary. Gotcha, gotcha. Well, uh, we definitely want to know what people out there think, uh, both online and in the audience. Um, so if you're online, let us know in the show notes at thetomeshow.com for this episode or at facebook.com slash thetomeshow. Uh, if you are in the audience, uh, by round of applause, are you more excited about The Seeker or The Wizard Third? The Theurge. The Theurge. Um... So, uh, so let's hear it for the seeker. Oh, all right, crickets. crickets. Let's hear it for the theurge. Woo! Yay! All right. Take note, wizards. All right. <laughs> uh, and Rudy Basso, you didn't applaud for either, did you? Uh, I'm on the panel. You asked the audience. <laughs> oh, the rest of us don't follow the So, speaking of the audience, I think we wanted to. We have a. We have a great eclectic panel here today. Um, you say we're weird? No, uh, I, mean, <laughs> I mean, in the sense fair. that we're all, uh, I mean, in the sense that we have one woman and we're all straight white people. Uh, uh, but uh, but in the sense of experience with, with role-playing games, Jeff has... Uh, is the has the longest running Dungeons and Dragons news podcast, right? Yeah, uh, um, longest running unofficial Dungeons and Dragons yeah. podcast. Period. Yes, Ooh. Sean has been the, designing the, the official Watsy podcast. Beat me by like half a month. Wow, really? <laughs> yeah. really? We have more episodes than them. Though. We we do, yeah. and, and they've gone through like seven rounds of hosts mm. uh, since then. I'd like to say they've relaunched, and hey. uh, and that uh, we're actually older. Gotcha. Everybody, this is Dan Dillon. Hello, I'm so sorry I'm late. By the way, this is the first time I'm meeting Dan Dillon in, in person. person. So, <laughs> nice hey, it's nice to meet you. How are you? Liz, uh, you yes. saved my bacon in November. Thank you so much. Okay, cool. Te- technical difficulties with uh, Hero Lab. That oh, yes, out. I did save you. Wonderful. Yeah. <laughs> You're uh, and Dan, this is Rudy Basso. Rudy, how's it going? We're doing introductions now. This yeah. is exciting. Again. Sorry, again. <laughs> you know Sean Merwin? I don't. Well, we've, we've corresponded yeah. over email a little bit. Yeah, it's good to meet you in person. Awesome. You awesome. awesome. And Jeff Greiner. Jeff Greiner. Yes. Yeah. Uh, so, Dan, uh, listen, I, I I know we just moved on from this, but I actually want to get your opinion about the Unearthed Arcana articles. Unearthed Arcana, yes. um, And so, since you just came in, and totally blind. Um, hey, hey, I'm ready. Uh, what do you think of the seeker? Yeah, we've already, including the audience. I'm sure, sure. sure. Everybody's yeah. weighed in. We so. want to see if you get it right. Yeah, this oh, is <laughs> right. Yeah, whatever. And we have very right. strong opinions too. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Um, if you want larger print, Sean, I, I like the idea of the seeker. Um, 
it's a very cool concept, and there's a lot you can do with it. It's generic enough that you can really sand the edges and fit it to whatever you need. And I would have to look over the mechanics again a little, in a little bit more depth, mm -hmm. but my first read-through of them seemed like they were they were okay, right? I, I would be happy to play that Warlock. Gotcha. And the new Pact Boon was cool. Uh, I'm not sure how it would stack up against, you know, say, being able to get every ritual in the game. Right, but <laughs> right. <laughs> sure, um, sure. And the and how do you pronounce the wizard tradition? Theurgy. Oh, oh. it's a new a new challenger. <laughs> a new one. Yeah. Wow. How do you guys say it? Theurge. Theurge or whatever he said. <laughs> I just make it one syllable. I have no idea what's right. Um, this one I was a little disappointed by. Uh, I love oh. the Mystic Theurge from from. This this ain't quite gonna do that, but it gets close, right? It gets close, and it depends on what domain you pick to get those spells. Mm -hmm. I mean, if you want to be a cleric healing wizard then Life Domain is the cure for what ails you, right? I'm not sure how I feel about them getting Cleric's 17th level ability at 14. Mm. Um, yeah, that was weird. That, that's sure a little, um, I mean, that's not, not quite as bad yeah, as... Everything else, they get the Cleric stuff later. Later, yeah. And then all of a sudden, that one they got earlier, I'm like, surely that's a typo. And then I looked, I'm like, I no, I think... I think oh, because it says weird. they get yeah. it earlier because they are... Because they're super, super faithful special. and magical. Then why didn't get the other stuff earlier? <laughs> They're not faithful enough yet. No, I, well, that, that, I think, is a simple artifact. <laughs> that, I think, is a simple artifact of the progression of the subclass, whereas the, the clerics get their capstone, subclass capstone, at, at 17, whereas the, the wizard gets it at 14. Um, and so they just sort of went, mm, okay, fine. Um, uh, but other than that, uh, so my impression of the, the Theurge is it's a really cool idea. I'm not sure how much I like it, mostly because of that 17th level ability at 14. Mm -hmm. But that's impression, and experience trumps impression, right? This right. is why play test and seeing things in practice. Because you can look at it, and you can white room it, and you can play it through your head, but that doesn't tell you how it's going to work out. Right. When you get it on the table and use yeah. it. And, you know, I'm really glad you're here because you had opposite opinions on almost all of them. Yes. Oh, what? Yes. <laughs> I you am are a contentious bastard. We, <laughs> you are, if you will, the peanut butter to everyone. <laughs> in that they don't go together at all, <laughs> according to Rudy Basso. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, mean, I have the opposite opinion on that too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, so, uh, so what we were going to do is we were going to maybe take some questions. Uh, you guys have a like I was saying. There's a, a a great mix of people here. Um, you Jeff, ask him about Roll Twenty. Jeff is a podcaster. Oh, sure, yeah. <laughs> Roll Twenty getting a license. Awesome. Um, yeah. Super cool. There you go. And you didn't even know there's three Roll Twenty employees uh, here I in the audience. I had no so idea. There. Congratulations. <laughs> <That's so great. laughs> um, uh, so, uh, but so we've got this great panel of people. Like I was saying. Uh, Jeff's been a podcaster forever. Um, uh, Dan and Sean are both really, really good game designers uh, uh, who have been working, uh, in Dan's case, with Pathfinder a lot and with 5th edition. In Sean's case, with 3rd edition, with 4th edition, with Pathfinder, with Knights Black Agents, uh, with a lot of other stuff, right? Yeah, yeah just yeah. Li little things here and there. Yeah, yeah. And 5e, you missed that one. And 5th edition. Yeah. <laughs> There's a 5th edition? Right. What? Yeah. <laughs> he wrote everything you're playing at Gen Con. <laughs> uh, so, um, 
Yeah, and uh, Liz has worked in the tech field uh, for a long time um, and uh, has also been playing role-playing games since she was a baby, I think. Yeah. Well, yeah. Right. Ish, you yeah. know, until I could talk. But right, yeah. right. Yeah. <laughs> I could talk. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and, uh, and Rudy Basso. I'm friends with James. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. A great friends. <laughs> I like that. Uh, a highly entertaining yeah. uh, radio drama podcast based on their gaming experiences. Yeah, yeah I was going to say, uh, one of the best storytellers. Uh, that I know, um, and uh, and also my roommate here at Gen Con. So, um, uh, yeah, and uh, and I'm me. Uh, so if you guys have any questions, either about the podcast, about what we think about other stuff that's happening in role playing games, about what our personal lives are like, uh, or if somebody just wants to, you know. Uh, get up here and give their opinion, uh, you know, uh, about something. Uh, just yeah, don't. What do you guys think about yeah. this stuff? Yeah, what do you think? Uh, so, uh, you know, if, if anybody has any questions, uh, now is the time. Please fire away. Yes. So, you guys have spoken on this podcast and on some of the panelists' other podcasts about the challenges of the, the financial challenges of the RPG industry <laughs> and people paying what they want. Mm-hmm. But another news that was announced this week, it was announced that uh, I think the, that the RPG industry overall. Revenue has grown quite considerably um, in the last several years. I think 40% was the statistic that was put out. Wow. So I'm just curious um, what you think that means for the for the industry, where that growth is coming from, and uh, you know some of the other challenges you've spoken about. Yeah, that's a great. Wow, you should host this podcast. <laughs> um, that is a that is a really really great question. I might be putting applications out. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I, does anybody in particular want to start? Um, it's it's hard to say where the uh, where, where exactly the growth is coming from. Um, I, I'm going to go out on a limb and say that that those figures are not all coming from the DMs Guild. Um, mm-hmm. I just don't think it generates that much money overall mm-hmm. because most everything that sells like hotcakes being pay what you want or a couple bucks, right? Um, so I, I would say in general the increase it's it's getting more general appeal, right? And, and so certain movies, just pop culture is is embracing it now mm-hmm. like it really I don't think ever has before. Sure, um, Stranger you know, Things, the, the, the nerd is winning the cultural war, so yeah. go us. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, and that I think is is the lion's share of it. And then you have some companies making a resurgence, like like D and D was a little down for a while, and and fifth edition has really given it a shot yeah. at nitrous, and that's kicked it back up. Yeah. Uh, you know, Pathfinder has come out with some big uh, some some big products and some big announcements that are that are really revitalizing some of the, the interest in their stuff that's coming up, like Starfinder. Mm-hmm. I think everybody's going nuts mm-hmm. just on the idea of that. So right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 Right. For sure. So uh, you're also getting. Uh, companies like like the Star Wars license came back out again in the last mm-hmm. few years so yeah. you've got fantasy uh, fantasy flight uh, cashing in on the edge of the empire <laughs> uh, and, and most of these books these days they're big they're pretty and they're expensive mm-hmm. so more money is going into it and it's it's just happening to work out right exactly why that is I, I don't have the market numbers so sure. I can only guess yeah. well and saying that D&D has had a resurgence is actually a little bit of an understatement because D&D went from several years of playtesting with zero profit right. and zero sales <laughs> to yeah. suddenly having products to sell right they were probably from, making a trickle off 4E stuff at that time yeah, but, maybe a little but, bit here but yeah, yeah, you're yeah, basically yeah. correct yeah, it right. went from almost nothing to, to I was still paying for my D&D and Insider yeah. subscription, yeah, and then I was yeah. 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 I like to think that most of the growth is because uh, I started a gaming club at my at my uh, yeah, school, sure. and we had like I expected like one table worth of kids, and ended up with like. 
four tables. But even that is and half of them came like, back from from Christmas break, and they all bought the yeah, books. And, yeah, yeah. I, and I know yeah. if Mike Shea were here, he'd be the first person to point out that's anecdotal evidence. No, but, that's absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not but trying like, to pretend that I'm actually oh, responsible. But I think that that is that's huge for a bunch of kids in middle school, the most uncomfortable age to be a nerd. Um, you know, to to come out and to have that many kids want to join a gaming club is really something. And I think yeah. a lot of people, uh, teachers and community leaders, uh, be they in churches or, uh, you know, um, secular community centers or, or yeah, yeah, Black wherever Black it is. Um, I think we've also seen a big surge in people watching People play games. Uh, yes. Good a friend of mine who I played with in high school called me and said, my daughter was in her room and she was just giggling. So I, I went in to see, and she, she was watching people playing D&D. <laughs> Why are people watching people playing D&D? <laughs> and I said, I don't know, but I'm enjoying it. Uh, and you know, we're seeing more players come in through that right. channel, which has never been available before. Yes. Yeah. yes and... I'm going to throw this one to you, Liz, because you've worked in the tech field. Yeah. Like, do you think that emerging digital technology, um, you know, we talked about Roll20, we've talked about Hero Lab, we've talked Mm -hmm. about Smiteworks and Fantasy Grounds. Um, Do you think that that, not only does that make playing easier, it also makes doing things like streaming easier. I feel like every game I watch that isn't Critical Role is streamed and they use a virtual table in right. some way. It's know? true. And I, I think uh, to go back to Roll20, they they are ingenious in that it is free to, free to use. So it is a safe space for you to want to try, try, it, out. try it out. So even if you don't have you know, a gaming group where you don't, like, you're like, oh, man, I don't really want to go out and find people to play with this. Like, I want to find out if I like it first, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, you have that ability to do it. And so stuff like that is fantastic. And, and the the prod- the accessories to make, you know, playing a more complicated game like Pathfinder easier, right? That allows people to get in on a game really quickly. Um, so, heck, yeah, I think uh, all of the technology yeah. is just helping this industry in ways that... It can only really help it grow, right? And if I can piggyback off of that, you get groups that played together when they were kids or in high school, yes. and they've all split off and gone to college, and and now they can get the band back together. And again. you know, and I've yeah. been talking about doing that with some of my old friends. Virtual so. tabletops are great for you know, they're, one of their their <laughs> markets um, is are those high schoolers that are going off to college, right. right? Because they they have their gaming groups that they found when they were kids, and they want to keep that going, and it just it's fantastic. But yeah. Uh, my dad and I uh, have played virtually as well. So yeah. <laughs> since I moved far away from him, all the way to California, sure. So um, it, it it's fan- it's just great. I I could go on and on. But I think the second to get to the second half of your question, which is really like, so if they're making more money, why aren't the designers seeing more of that, right? Yeah. Which or the, that's or the prices. Right. Yeah. 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 So, so that is a great question, uh, <laughs> and I think that's one we haven't really like. We've answered like where the money is coming from, right? Or where we think it where is. Where we think it is. Yeah. yeah. So um, there's some question there about margins, and I'm not in the industry, and I've never been in the industry, mm-hmm. but a forty percent increase in sales may not equal a significant increase in profits for them to be able to share more with this Art artist. is expensive. Um, yeah. yeah. And I, so I don't, and I don't know what, you know, and what the print costs are and the shipping and all that, especially for the bigger companies who are shipping stuff from, you know, China or wherever. Um, so yeah, so I don't know, 
if that changes the equation, 40% changes the, equa the equation that much, especially if the increase is coming from a diversity uh, that, of offerings, right? If there's, a, if, the, if there's more games being offered and there's a lot of people buying a lot of little indie games and stuff, if it's not a 40% increase in D&D and Pathfinder or whatever, right, um, then, then you're gonna see an increase but it's in all these little indie companies it's spread out. who, who it's are diffused. It's, diffused. It's, it's going to, to a, oh. more people, but not more money for the fewer people. Right. Well, and I think it's important to point out that we we were talking about uh, where we think the money is coming from from areas that don't include the DM skills. And I think a lot of the conversations that we've been having on this podcast, I say we, I haven't been in it, but they've been having on these podcasts has been talking about the small amount people are getting from the DM skills. Oh. Yeah. It's small. <laughs> and, I, and one thing, Rudy, I think you can you can kind of speak to this because you and I had a long conversation once about like I, I, there was somebody said on a podcast that uh, you know like well people pay this much for a video game that you get X hours of entertainment for and then uh, you know they they won't pay the same for an RPG book and you said right but the consumer perspective yes. is that it takes more work and more man hours to create a video game yes. and it does a book, right? It's a foolish conception to think that writers, oh, anybody can write, anybody can do that, I could do that. Whereas something like 3D modeling or programming, that's perceived as more specialized mm -hmm. by the, the random consumer. And as a result, people aren't maybe as willing to pay more for a book. Right. Types of programming. Because I will <laughs> point that out. I'm sure, the, right. I'm sure the Roll20 people can attest as well that you even get that with like Hero Lab. People, job, would, right? people would be like, I could, def I could make a character creation app, no problem. Yeah. So, yeah, and it's like, go for it. <laughs> Come back and my, my, my buddy in the audience is a software engineer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. so you, you totally get drown in numbers if I had to try yeah. to sure. this job. The armchair yeah. developers are crazy. But um, for I think you're right, though, that for, for video games, people, I think they the perception is that that work is so much more than a lot of what we see here in the hobby. Well, yeah. and I, I don't know, because I've never been in either of those industries before. Um, <laughs> I can only speak from the perspective of a consumer and, and one who is a public school teacher and thus on a budget. Right. Right? right? <laughs> uh, and, and I don't know that I care one ounce how much work I think went into the product. I look at the product, I look at what the product is, I look at what it offers me, and I may or may not calculate the number of hours of enjoyment sure. out of it. That may not be in the equation, right? I might look at that video game and see it's spectacular art and graphics, and I might look at that book and see, you know, pretty good artwork, you know? Right. And sure. that's where my value decision comes in. It, it's a matter of me doing a quick, you know, of cost-benefit analysis in my head of, okay, I, I'm not, it's not my job to take care of their business. I don't care what it's actually worth. I care what it's worth to me. Right. right. And is that Good price point what it's worth what it's worth to me? Good, Good point. Yeah. So. yeah, and I that's that's very true. And I, I mean we are in this interesting space where a lot of things that go into developing video games, right, go into developing a new RPG. There's playtesting, there's art, there's, um, you know, publishers, there's story, there's developers. Editing. Yeah, there's editing, editing. Yeah. sometimes. Right. So, you know, that is why RPG books, I think, you're like, man, these should probably cost a lot more than a novel. Right, because look at how much more stuff has gone into this. Um, but it is hard to get people to sit, who look at it and say, "But it's a book," you know. Mm -hmm. um, and I certainly understand that. I did see a question in the back or a response, perhaps. You guys kind of hit it. Um, we talked a, a lot at the beginning about D 
DD and Pathfinder and, and those big companies having a you know a spike, but it's the long tail. Mm -hmm. It's the it's the small companies. I mean, how many more booths do we see out here at Gen Con every sure. year of yeah. people selling games? And yes, they're selling games. They might not be selling DD numbers or Pathfinder numbers or you know those sort of numbers, but they're selling games. And that long tail be where your forty percent is coming from. Right. And then you, you also have the you know where is that that forty percent increase in sales? Is that revenue? Is that profit? Is that margin? Where is that you know? Uh, and those indie companies are, you know, bringing out that smaller amount. <laughs> you reminded me of a point that I had that I'd completely forgot. So thank you. Um, <laughs> during that during that period where the Wizards was just sort of, you know, there, but you know, trickle trickle effects. We saw a quarter where uh, the it was uh, Paizo came in first for I think the most revenue, followed by Evil Hat before yeah. Wizards. And that, was, that was huge. Evil right? Hat has one full time person. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Fate exploded. Fate yeah. exploded. Yeah. So I, I I mean that quarter alone was really telling, and that a lot of those smaller publishers were taking advantage of sort of the void yeah. um, left by D and D. And I think you're right in that that sort of allowed those companies to grow. And we're seeing publishers like Evil Hat, Green Ronin, um, Catalyst that are have grown a huge fan, loyal fan base um, that are probably driving up those numbers. Yeah, and I, I mean, even you, anecdotally, but uh, I'm, I'm at Gen Con and I'm talking to uh, some guys at a, at a publisher who had a table last year, uh, and and they complained that they didn't feel like they, they made as, the sales that they wanted to make last year. Yeah. But they're back with a booth again this year, and they've got more product to sell. So, <laughs> yeah. so, so, while they may not be raking in the money they want to be raking in, or, or seeing the business they want to be seeing, it was enough for them to come back, right? So there right. is those sales are happening, even in the small publishers. Well, and do uh, so, Liz. You might be able to answer this, Maybe. and if not, Roll Twenty, you might be able to answer this. <laughs> does uh, does that count as part of the RPG industry? Is are that we collectively when the, when the, the three of them is Roll Twenty now? Yes, yeah, yeah. What is that? So, so like when when we're looking at those numbers, do those numbers count as part of? the tabletop RPG industry. Because then if you're counting like every Sirenscape oh, sale, if you're it, counting got it, got it. every, you know, that those digi people are using more digital tools than they ever have across the board, right? I, I have no so. idea. I, don't, I haven't looked at the um, where the numbers are coming from and, right. and what they're including. Mm -hmm. It could be that they're including those numbers. Um, I'd have to see. Um, I, I'm guessing they probably meant uh, actual actual published Books. I'm getting a um, no from I Richard Zayas. I doubt it. I doubt it. Yeah. Did that include Kickstarter? Right. Yeah. Ooh, who knows? That's yeah. That's, that's yeah. I think there were numbers on that in the in the thing we're talking okay. about. I think they included Kickstarter, and that's what boosted the whole the industry. Oh, seven, seven C. Wow. How did we not talk about Kickstarter? Yeah. Yeah. Well, sorry. Previously, I don't think the figures did include Kickstarter, yeah. and the latest one I believe did, and that's what yeah. contributed. Well, there's to the forty percent. Yeah. 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 That was John Wick. Wow. <laughs> right. Oh my gosh. Wow. Good talk, though. Yeah. 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 Good talk. Good talk. We did it. Good job. Sean Merwin, everyone. Um, that and magic done. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, do we have any other questions? Again, about anything. Yes, right here. Let me keep that topic going. And wandering around the exhibit hall, 
it's obvious that the market for uh, gaming accessories is extremely healthy. Yes. Chessex has four, counting four booths. <laughs> so how does that figure into it? Do you, I mean, are the people buying all these expensive accessories, the Dwarven Forge and so on, the same people who are already buying lots of books? Yeah. Or do you think there's people who are nickel and diming the adventures on, on the guild on, and turning around and buying a $1,000 gaming chic table? You know that, I mean, there's certainly that, right? Is that like, well, if I can get the content for free, then I have more money to buy, you know, yep, a, yeah. a dice ring or an enormous table or whatever. Yeah, also, let me know where you can get one of those tables for only $1,000. <laughs> right? <laughs> I'm, on, I'm on that. <laughs> Sold. Um, but yeah, I think, I, and again, like, chess, like, you could download a million free apps that let you roll dice. Uh-huh. Um, and yet, ChessX has four booths. Buckets uh, and buckets and buckets of dice. I know, yes. I know. Uh, so there's there's definitely that. And if you go to... Rudy and I were walking around the floor and we went to the Paizo booth. Yes. Uh, and that's like... You know, they have their books on the walls, but it's mostly minis and other minis and maps. <laughs> Some and, more minis. Yeah. They have, well, the, they have their goblin head dice bags. This yeah. Plush ones. Yeah. And <laughs> I think... I mean, I think there is something about being able to carry something or wear something that shows your like geekness like I wear my I wear my dice ring all the time um <laughs> so uh uh and you know and, and when people see it they're like hey you're you know and other people are like what is that and, uh you know and you get to have a conversation yeah exactly so I I think that that could be part of it too is is that accessorizing and again I don't know if that counts for those numbers or not well, you know do campaign once, coins count I don't no. But once you bought a player's handbook for D&D, you know, you have your player's handbook, but you're going to need more dice. Now I'm playing a wizard, so I need 15d6. I don't have them. I'm going to go get them. Now I'm going to run a game. That means I need a bajillion models because who knows what we're going to fight. And right. that the yeah. peripherals, those extra things that help you run the game, those just keep stacking up. And you can't download those or, you know, pirate them off of Correct. anywhere. Piracy is a whole other issue. Yeah. Right, right. But once I mean, 3D printing, though, once yeah. everybody has a 3D printer, we'll be... Yeah. By the way, totally, <laughs> totally plugging a company. I have no idea what the company name is. But there's a, a company out there that can 3D print, like, basically uh, Dwarven Forge type stuff. Oh, yeah. Hero uh, Forge. Fat Dragon oh, wow. Games. No, it wasn't Hero Forge. Oh, right. It was... Games. What? Fat Dragon. Fat Dragon. Fat Dragon. Fat Dragon. Fat Dragon. Fat Dragon. So cool. Like oh. It is... So if you're at Gen Con, go see that. Um, everyone listening, sorry, look them up. <laughs> Fat Dragon, yeah, yeah, yeah. Fat Dragon. Yeah, Fat, Fat Dragon's been doing uh, printable papercraft, paper yeah, for a long yeah. time. Yeah, it's pretty pretty awesome. Where was I going with this? Oh, um, but there. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, to, to go back to the people nick, nickeling and diming and then spending stuff on on. Uh, just everything. I mean, that was a whole gaming group I played with out in the Bay Area with a bunch of programmers that had tons of dispensable cash, and yet they had pirated versions of the player's handbook. And I'm sitting down there totally judging judging them. Like, seriously, guys, I know you have the money. But they had the ability, and so they chose to do that. I disagree with them. No longer play with them. But I think if you have the ability, you're going to have the people that do it, regardless of whether or not you have indispensable, or, you know, you have dispensable... Income. Yeah. There is not much ability needed to download a pirated PDF yeah. and scan or whatever. Yeah. Google. Do you think a lot Done. of that, to speak to your point, Liz, like, do you yeah. think a lot of that has to do with the fact that, like, as tech people, we want digital? 
and we can't get it, so... Yes. I mean, you, you, you have partially, a point. Partially. I, I, I agree. Not yet. I, I yeah. <laughs> sort of. I, I think you're. I think you're totally right. That pe- there are people that just want to have that tech version. I, I understood where they were coming from, I, but I still didn't think it was right. Oh yeah. Right. Um, but we agree. Yeah. 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 Uh, but I. I do. I do think there. I still don't understand why there aren't PDFs available. Um, I think that's yep. you know just ridiculous. Um, and I, I. That's one reason why I love Paizo because they just embrace the whole PDF culture, right? Mm-hmm. And our, our and all of course all, a bunch of other almost every other publisher out there has PDFs available of something and that's just fantastic. Yeah, yeah, and well, and it's uh, like Paizo I saw even has paperback now, yeah. which I know is not the same as a PDF, but um, you know, like like the fact that they are looking at multiple options right. to get people involved. I, uh, you know, I will go on record, I guess, as saying I have a copy of the player's handbook, a hard copy that I bought. And I also have a PDF version because I sometimes want to just look at it on my tablet. Well, yeah. having having paid for it, fair use, right? Right. Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, uh, yeah, and and it's going to get pirated one way or the other, right? Whether the PDF, and that's one of their stated things. They didn't want to release electronic versions because that would increase piracy. <laughs> yeah, because it's not being pirated now. Right. Yeah. 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 <laughs> right. So I, I don't I don't understand. Yeah. Yeah. Nope. You know, so but yeah, I, I think that's uh, very true. That when you're you're cut off, you want that. And then I, it's also weird. I think as far as accessorizing goes, as gamers get more money, like like you know, a lot of these people when they were gaming in the '80s, it was all kids. You know, it was all a, a lot of kids and teens and stuff like that. And now those kids and teens have grown up. And have jobs. And, and as yeah. another point, those kids and teens have grown up, have jobs, and now have kids who have grown up to the point where they want their own books. And that's right. another part of the market yeah. growth. Mm-hmm. So you end up with uh, with your, you know, that's Dwarven Forge, right? Like, right. Man, I can't imagine how much that, it probably would have been like 15 bucks in the 80s to get a whole Dwarven Forge set. But you know, <laughs> uh, now you have to take another mortgage. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, Although, as Mike Shea likes to point out, it's cheaper than golf. True. Yes. So, <laughs> that's how he justifies buying uh, them. There you go. Fair there enough. You go. <laughs> yes. Not to change the subject, but you talked a lot about how this stuff is becoming more into the mainstream, and I think something that's maybe still holding us back a little bit that could be the next big thing is people becoming GMs. Mm-hmm. Yes. More GMs. And do you have any thoughts about how we can break through that steep hills, uh, that steep learning curve? Yeah. And encourage more people to pick it up, try it out, figure out that it's actually not that hard, that it's totally doable even if you're not perfect at it. Do you have any thoughts about that? Yeah, I want to start with Rudy and Liz on this because both of you just recently took up the, the GM mantle, mantle, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think it's really great with your group mm-hmm. to have rotating DMs, mm-hmm. maybe just as like a short campaign, but a lot of people are just intimidated by the prospect of being the one in charge or anything like that. When in fact, once they get in there and they're sitting down, it's really not that difficult. So I always encourage uh, new players, if a new group or someone comes to me saying, my friends want to start playing, like don't decide this guy's the GM. Everybody take their turn. Then when someone says, I like this the most, let them take over, but always be open to switching out if you need to. Yeah, and always, if, if you are the person who is GMing, don't be afraid to ask for a few innings of relief pitching. Um, 
because that's what I did. And Rudy was like, yeah, absolutely. I've wanted to run blah, blah, blah. And, uh, and I love it. Yeah. Uh, I love playing and I, I love that Rudy is going to take over and, and run some stuff. Um, so, uh, so yeah, so that's, I think it's also on the DMS to like, be like, Hey, yeah. Somebody else can have the reins. I don't mm-hmm. want all this responsibility. Yeah, this, this is a, a community culture question. Yeah. Right? Yeah. As, a, as a community of gamers, it's it's incumbent on us, I think, to to encourage others to to be DMs or GMs. Uh, and I think it happens. And not to, I know he asked you to speak, but it's okay. <laughs> um, Jeff's uh, in charge, right? <laughs> um, but but I I feel like it happens like one DM at a time, right? Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I I have a bunch of kids in my middle school class who started DMing because there's only one of me and we had too many kids. So we needed to set up two, uh, multiple tables and, and, and so one of the other kids is like, I'll give it a shot. And half the time they're just running crazy arenas and fighting monsters for two hours. Fine, whatever. You're, you're, you're getting your feet wet, right? On the other hand, um, I, and I don't know what it is, but, but in my own gaming group, um, I have one p- other player that, that relieves me sometimes. Like I DM 90% of the time, but then sometimes I'm taking a heavy course load in my, in my doctoral classes and I, I need a break, right? So I need to focus on that, let somebody else. So I have one other DM who, who takes over. But then I have at least two other players who, who have also, um, they don't DM in my group, but they've started other groups because we meet you know, twice a month and they wanted to game some more and they got other friends that want to play and whatever. And so and one of them is in the audience. And the other one who's run Adventures League at, at a local game shop and DM'd there because he wants to play more, but they're running up DMs. So he said, well, I'll give it a shot, right? Mm-hmm. I was going to chime in, actually. Yeah, so I'm, I'm in Jeff's group, and uh, I've wanted to DM. I've played for 10 or 15 years now, wanted to DM. But it's just, it's intimidating. It yeah. is. And I think talking, a lot of what we've been talking about today is barrier of entry. How do you get more people to play? And it's gone up, but like you mentioned, that's one of the biggest ones to get a group of random people who've never played before, and uh, I've, I've wanted to do it and uh, done it a few times. I've always been dissatisfied with how a job I've done, and been also confused as to how to give myself feedback on how to do better. And a lot of times, my players I'm DMing for can't tell me because they don't know. So yeah, in fairness though. I've always been dissatisfied every time I've DM'd. And I've been, <laughs> and I've been DMing true. you for years. That's, that's one reason you need a break yeah. is yeah. Yeah. Stop the self-flagellation. I think actual play podcasts and, and streaming Ooh, is going to help yeah. as well. Yeah. Yeah. Because how do you learn to, to DM? By playing. Yeah. And you watch good oh, yeah. DMs and you watch bad DMs. I don't want to do that. I want to mm-hmm. do this. And then you get comfortable. And if you can now watch great DMs and some bad DMs, <laughs> depending on where you look, you know, from the comfort of your own home, yeah. then you can learn all the right. tips and you can learn the rules. And most DMs start because they have a story they want to tell. Mm-hmm. And that's the easy part. The hard part is fitting it into the mechanics. So if you can see how a good DM takes a good story and fits it into the mechanics, then you're halfway there to to being able to do it. Then you just sit down and you start. And I, can't, I can't tell you how much Will Wheaton on Titan's Grave shattered my world as a DM. Right? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I think um, for me, it was really important to figure out what it was that intimidated me about being a GM and sort of trying to narrow that down and figure out how I could uh, sort of counterbalance that. So for me, it was a lot of like, I didn't want to be judged by, you know, uh, being a bad, bad DM. So I made sure that I, you know, collected a group of people where I wouldn't feel afraid to fail. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and that helped me with my confidence quite a bit. And I also talked to them, about, like, one thing that I was worried about was someone basically, like, grilling me on the rules and being like, no, that's not the right rule. So I said, I made a statement early on of, like, you know, if it's going to be an easy rule to look up, we can look it up. If not, I'm just house ruling it and what we what I say goes and it might be different the next time when I actually <laughs> look up the rule but you have to be okay with that yeah. um, I also think uh, being you know software person that it's really important that um, we continue to have those tools coming out to do that for um, GMs as well. So mm-hmm. if it's you know making it easier to run a published adventure instead of reading through a book that's written to be read but not necessarily written to be played, mm-hmm. um, having those tools to, to help it make, make it easier to actually play the game rather than just read the, through the story. Or if um, it's a really, really complicated game, um, having tools that help you um, with those rules there at the table. So. The more, the more we can do as a community to support it is fantastic, and I hope we continue to see more tools coming out to just make the lives of the GM so much easier. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And there is, on, on the word about tools and books and stuff, um, I would say one reason uh, people sometimes don't want to be the GM is the expense. Like, yeah. the GM ends up buying everything. Uh, so, uh, and Monty Cook just wrote a really great blog post that's all about, like, Hey players, why don't you chip in a little bit to uh, to help the DM buy stuff? Hey James, um, can you link to that in the show notes? Yeah, I can link to that in the show notes. Uh, <laughs> this episode of thetomeshow.com. And then, just real quick, I was shocked to learn that Dan Dillon does not DM his game. That not you, currently. Yeah, yeah, not currently. Oh. Um, and so, <laughs> so you can even be like a great designer and not DM a game constantly, right? Right, well you have to. I yeah. mean, creativity, I've heard it likened to breathing, right? When you're creating, you're exhaling, and you can only blow out so much until your lungs are empty, and then you've gotta inhale. So right now I'm on my inhale phase. My, uh, one of my best friends uh, from way back in high school, uh, he and I have played together ever since I moved to Indiana in 95. And, uh, and so he, he's on right now. He's on, and when he's before that, uh, actually a friend of ours in the audience was running a game, Woo! Lord of the Dragon Queen for us. Uh, before that, I was running it, and so on and so forth. And we just yeah, you guys, talked about rotating mm-hmm. rotating GMs for your group. That's really important, and yeah. it, it gives other people uh, a chance to show their perspective. And you can trade tip, trips, uh, trips, pff, tricks, and tips, and <laughs> and style, and see maybe what you like, what you don't, because nobody's going to run the game the way you want it run, except for you. Mm-hmm. But you got to try out what other people have to offer, especially if it's your own stuff. It's great if you're working you on mechanics. Must yeah. see other people running. You have to watch mm-hmm. other people run it. Whether it's you know whether it's the crunchiest of mechanics, whether it's an adventure and the flow of it, <laughs> puzzle. You have to, oh, especially a puzzle. <laughs> you have to let other people run it. And you have to sit back. The greatest horror in my life was watching. Sitting back and watching someone run a game that I had written. <laughs> no one knew I had written it, so that, you know, this SOB, who wrote this crap? And I'm like, note to self, do never ever do this again. Yeah. No, but that's really valuable because you have to know yeah. that what, when you write something, it's in your head, right? You thought of it, you know how to fill in the, the subtext and what's between the lines. You have to make sure that that is there for someone else who doesn't have it in their head to read it, pull it out, and then present it to the players. Mm-hmm. And the easiest, best, not 
not necessarily easiest. But the best way to see that happen is to see someone else run it. So if right. you can do that, do it. It's it's so valuable. That sounds and that's so oftentimes the difference between a, a, bigger, <laughs> a bigger publisher and a lot of small indie publishers. The bigger publishers have the time and resources to do that level of playtesting. Right. Wow. And development. No, so if you're if you, back to the topic, if you are going to be a new DM, um, it's it's and you're going to run a published adventure, it's worth looking at the, the big dogs first before you try to cut your teeth on something that was written by an indie publisher who may not have run it through all the playtesting, so there may be a, little, a few more foibles you have to deal with. So, oh, or, yeah. or learn which smaller publishers do spend the time on that, because yeah. a few sure. do. Yeah, like the Four Horsemen. Yeah, yeah. we tried. We tried. Or uh, encoded designs, yeah. right? Yeah. <laughs> there you go. Um, so I think we have time for maybe one, maybe two more questions if people have any. Anybody have anything else kicking around? Do we have anything? I have a news item. Oh, 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 oh we had questions. We got, hands. We got yeah. questions. <laughs> so we'll get two, back, yeah. Back to the uh, playing online thing. Good to see you or watching people play online, because historically D&D has always been a game about people sitting around a table telling a story amongst themselves. So when you now have um, professional actors and comedians and people like that uh, playing a game directly for an audience, um, how, do you th how do you think that changes the game, and do you think it's actually the s still the same game? <laughs> uh, so, uh, as a, uh, and Rudy, I think you and I talk about this a lot. Yes. Um, uh, because we, uh, and we chose not to make an actual play podcast. Rudy wanted to make specifically a scripted podcast because I think there is a ton of, I think you want to be combat light unless yes. you can be really entertaining with your combats. Right. Um, and I think, uh, I think you need to decide like the same way you would if you were going to sit down to write a play or a movie when people are going to watch it. You need to decide like, what is the tone of this? What is the theme of this? Make sure everybody's in on it, because if you're going high comedy like the Adventure Zone, mm -hmm. then everybody knows it's okay to track jokes. If you're, uh, you know, if you're going more of a dark uh, route, right? You want everybody to be on board with that, and so everybody not be okay. Those, yeah, yeah <laughs> exactly. So, um, Rudy, maybe you can speak a little. Yeah. Bit well, more the about thing that. about APs is, I I think for a successful one, it's very important that you be entertainers. First. Maybe before players yeah. even, yes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So the audience has to be in, involved in some way so they feel like they're part of it. And the other thing is, don't you've got to know the rules back and forth. The second the conversation gets bogged into rules, oh, what is it with that, and you don't edit it out, like, I'm at the door. I'm <laughs> yelling at, in my car at the Adventure Zone sometimes when I have to stop to look up a spell or whatever. <laughs> um, it can be, like, so off-putting. But yeah. I think it's great to see the real, like, Critical Role is incredible, and iron sharpens iron. So if you watch great people playing, it will make you a better, I mean, Jeff just mentioned Will Wheaton has inspired him a lot. So I think it's great for the, the hobby that there are so many excellent actual plays out there. And I, I think we, we talked about this on, um, I don't know if it's the most recent Tome Show, but a recent Tome Show, yeah. um, that, you know, there's, there's a you can learn a lot not only as a player but also um, as a GM. Like uh, the the most recent Giant Hunters, fourth grade. grade Giant Hunters. Um, I mean, I seeing Matt Mercer um, handle a disruptive player, for example, is is a gr <laughs> <laughs> um, great for for. GM's watching too because I, there's always that disruptive player or often that disruptive player and you don't want to you know shut them down so even seeing small moments like that it's 
fantastic. Does anybody else see the the awesome value in all of those kinds of things and the inspiration and all that? Yeah. But, but also get concerned that that it's setting an unrealistic expectation that might be easy. Like, I don't have professional actors at my table. It's not going to look the same. I'm okay with that because I've been playing for a long time before that was a thing. I can see that. Yeah. A little. That's, I I take a little bit of that counterpoint, and I've been a little quiet on some of the the highly produced and edited and and professional actual play. Definitely edited. (laughs) Yeah, edited heavily. And it's great, and you can see a lot of great stuff, and it's, it's really impressive, but it sets maybe an unattainable expectation because your your group isn't going to work like that. You're going to have rules quibbles. You're going to have to stop and look up a stinking cloud. And I don't know that I would want them to 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 leave all that stuff in there because no, that would be boring. Absolutely <laughs> not. You're, 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 you're right. You have, to, you have to edit that stuff out if mm-hmm. you're going to present it for entertainment yeah. purposes. And we've had friends actually uh, ask if we would record our games because sometimes I do, inspired by Owen Stevens, I do game night quotes oh, sure. every now and then over social uh-huh. media. Uh, and, and people have asked, will you please stream this so we can watch this happen? And, and the DM and I have kind of gone back and forth about it. And it's just not worth it because right. we would have, we'd have to edit. To make it worth watching. People have asked me to run Adventurers League games for my home group. And I said, heck no. <laughs> the crimes against humanity that go on during my games. I do not want them out there on, on video, audio, and my wife is nodding her head because she knows. Yeah. <laughs> are you, you are party to these crimes that are... A witness. A witness. <laughs> <laughs> <Gotcha>. <laughs> a witness. Uh, yeah, and I, but I do think that, right, that is, that's part of the difference is you've got to think about your audience. What do they want? Um, and then if you're not doing it live, like that's the thing, Critical Role happens... Live, which yeah. is very impressive, yeah. Um, but yeah, Force Gray and uh, and Acquisitions Inc. are edited, which is great uh, because it, you can t- they're they're less than a half hour each episode, uh, and there's no way that they were they were playing for much longer than that. Mm. You know, they're they're right. cutting out all the rules, looking yeah. up and stuff. Um, yeah, so which is why if you're sitting down to play and nobody's played before, it's like you're gonna spend a lot of time looking at a rule book, right? Uh, and less time being Chris Hardwick. Well, yeah, <laughs> our, typical, our typical session is about four hours. So well, yeah. I mean, that's that's a big investment if you're just gonna look at play by play, second by second, whatever we're doing right. and saying, and when we break character and someone cracks a joke and we go off on a tangent, right. and then you get a rule wrong and have to hear about it from the audience. Oh, good lord! <laughs> Can you can imagine? A question all the way in the back yeah. to. Just a, uh, about the, the new bringing in new DMs. Um, I DM, but I DM a really old system mm-hmm. because uh, look, I've got all the five E stuff. I, I mean, I've sure. got it all. I've got the starters kit. I've got the books. I'm, I'm there, but I don't DM it. I don't know it well enough. I barely know it well enough to I can mm. sit down and play. You know, with with somebody who's leading it. I couldn't. I couldn't lead that. Sure. You know? So me with if I'm going to bring somebody new into the hobby, right? If I'm going to bring my daughter in, guess what we're running? Something we're, old. We're, we're running. We're running second edition. Right? Oh, wow. So cool. I, and and you don't run. Movies. Your daughter doesn't run screaming away from Thacko. <laughs> Thacko is fine when you're playing with it and when you're learning it. It's, it's hindsight that makes you think it's awful. You know, I, I use. I, you know, I still have all that material. I still have all those books. Uh, you know, I repurchased them again when, you know, when when they were put out a couple years ago. I purchased yep. all you know the core books again. So, you know, I'm staying up with the hobby, but actually playing something new, playing some, you know, DMing something in 5e 
as much as I would love to, because I you know, I hear so many good things about it. The only time I ever get to play 5e, here. Yeah, that's that's interesting. I so, think so. I, I'm trying to yeah. learn those rules is the difficult part. Yeah, yeah. I can't just sit there and read it, and then be able to turn that in. I can't turn that into how I'm going to DM that. Well, exactly. there, and then there's a I mean there's a level where everybody goes through that, right? I mean. I started running 5e having no experience with 5e and barely understanding it as well. And and that's that's where the unre unrealistic expectations things comes in, right? right? Uh, because I just have to be okay with the fact that we're going to completely slaughter it and mess it up, but we're going to get better, right? Yeah. I'm going to learn the rules. My players are going to learn the rules. Uh, and, and so we're going to evolve with that, and especially because we also play-tested the rules, and so we kept having to relearn the rules, and then once we got it figured out, they, they gave us new ones, and we had to start all over again. And, um, <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, it, it's, it's a process. Uh, whatever edition you want to do, um, the first time you're doing it, or, or whatever game you want to play, right? There's, there's a million games out there. Every, every time you're doing that, the first time, the first few times, the first month of play, whatever, it's, it's you figuring out how it works, but trying to tell a story while you do it. One thing I did, actually, because I'm, I'm, as I mentioned, was, like, terrified that someone would call me on having a rule wrong, is I found a uh, couple of podcasts that actually talked through some of the rules for 5th edition, and just listened to those, and it was super helpful. <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, so, uh, I used to have one of those. What did you guys do? <laughs> Come on, James. No. We had too many other podcasts. Yeah. <laughs> no, but I mean, those resources are out there, right? And um, it was really helpful. And, you know, I'm, I'm super studious. So I was, th that appealed to me, right? I wanted to learn as much as possible before I played. I still got it wrong, but at least I felt more prepared, um, such that I felt comfortable at least, you know, going over to my uh, friendly local game store, because you should do that, and play, uh, doing a run sh uh, one shot. Um, mm -hmm. And feeling like there was a good chance I'd get most of the rules right. Yeah, and actually, that, I mean that was the, the the point that we uh, actually to connects to the the whole uh, expectations thing from right. from the other from listening to actual play or, or watching the stream video. I think it's okay for there to be a variety of edited levels yeah. of different shows. Oh, sure, right? sure. Because um, I, I learned a lot about how to run fourth edition by listening to Icosahedrophilia uh, by Chris Hurd. Um, that was not who what now, I thought you were going to say. Who now, who, now, <laughs> who now has renamed it um, into something else and gone on to other games or whatever. But but at first it was this whole campaign in fourth edition. Um, and while I was and, and one of the things I liked about it is that it's edited. Mm -hmm. But it's not edited to the point that I'm not hearing some of those rules conversations at the time that I'm tr also trying to figure out the rules. And it, it worked really well for me in terms of, of not only my running 4th edition, but then I was listening to him run 4th edition and listening to him have some of the same struggles I was having and how did they figure it out and how did we figure it out and did we rule differently and, and why are they wrong and whatever, right? right. So. Yeah. Yeah. So, but I, I, I mean, I think you're right. And if you're having fun playing 2nd edition, why would you ever play, yeah. you know, like, why learn it? Why take the time? You're a father... You know, you've got podcasts to listen to. Like, <laughs> I'd much rather you listen to our podcasts than you go. You know what I mean? Like, I want you to. So. <laughs> you, you and Ed Green would keep second edition alive. <laughs> um, and so, and and that's. I think that's part of it. Is that new it, bringing in new people to the hobby doesn't mean they need to play Dungeons and Dragons Fifth Edition, right? Um, I think sometimes uh, uh, there are probably better rules light games to start as a DM, like, 
I don't know, lasers and feelings, right? That whole thing is one uh, two-page PDF. If you want to do, um, if you want to do a D and D light game, light game that's really easy to, to learn, uh, I had great luck teaching twelve-year-olds how to play Fantasy Age. There you go, <gasps> Fantasy Age. Yeah. I yeah. Fantasy Age. I thought you were going to say Fiasco. Uh, yeah. So, yeah. which I would love to see twelve-year-olds <laughs> play Fiasco. Oh God. That is every day in a twelve-year-old's yeah. world. Uh, so, I don't want uh, to. I don't want to be doing that. Then the principal walk in. Um, but uh, but yeah, and I mean, Sean, you faced this challenge a little bit, right? Doing so much for organized play, like that. I saw that uh, p- postings on Facebook up until it seemed like the day of Gen Con. Hey, we need DMs. Like, there's hundreds of people who want to play D and D, but nobody wants to be the DM. Yeah, we could double the size of what we're running, mm-hmm. but we just can't get the DMs. You know, out and you're to... giving away free rooms and stuff. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah, free rooms for running a certain number of slots, free badges. I mean, a free room and a free badge here. That's, that's a chunk that's of change. Yeah, huge. Yeah. So, uh, so we're always looking for DMs, but you know, it's it is a it's a process, and it's not easy mm-hmm. to do. It's easy to do, but it's not easy to know it's easy to do. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So it's uh, intimidating. Yeah, it is intimidating. Mm-hmm. But if you're running a published adventure, especially one that is for low-level characters and does walk you through the process, it's it's not terribly hard yeah. to to at least get the feel for it. And you know you're going to make mistakes, but if, as long as the story you're telling and your players are fine with it, then then go yeah. for it. You know. Starter sets are, are great. Well, and the great thing about running those those you know canned adventures, so to speak, is, is that a, a lot of the biggest pitfalls are already hurdled for you, right? Mm-hmm. Just setting up the design, making sure the encounters are balanced. Is there treasure? Can you make it from one end to the other without running into some plot hole? That's all done. Right. So so yeah. you don't have to worry about that, and you can just focus on what's going to be most fun for my players. Sure. Yeah. Except for the pitfall of your players. Well, there's something instinctual in some players where they just refuse to go. They don't take the hook, and they're like, "No, we're going over here, and we want to see what happens." Right, Rudy? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, so I think that is probably going to do it for the roundtable. Uh, where can people find you, Rudy Basso? Hey, I'm on Twitter at Rudy Basso. R U D Y B A S S O. I have a podcast. James has mentioned it. It is a scripted. D&D inspired radio play. I have business cards with QR codes on them. Ooh. Um, oh. Very 2010. Yeah. <laughs> I'd be happy to hand them out, direct downloads to the episodes, or you can go to havespellbook.com. It's a lot of fun. Please. You have a second podcast, too. <clears throat> I, I do have a second podcast <laughs> on the Tome Show Network. It's called D&D VNG. Uh, <laughs> It's about officially licensed Dungeons and Dragons video games. Wow, it is <laughs> cool. very specific, awesome. specialized. But, yes. uh, yeah, and it's super fun. It is sure. a really, really fun podcast to listen okay. to. Uh, Liz Tice, <laughs> where can people find you? You can find me on Twitter as well. It's at Liz Tice, or if you don't know how to spell Tice, um, at Liz the Is. Um, you'll see me. <laughs> you'll see me post uh, about D and D and pictures of my dogs. Yeah. <laughs> it's everything you want in your friends. Yes. Rudy Basso, Rudy Basso likes all my pictures yes, of my dogs, I and I appreciate it. Yeah. Yes. And I can't think of you uh, from any, any more in my life at all unless it's as Liz the is. Liz the is. Because <laughs> you say it every time here. Because yeah. people don't know absolutely, how to spell my last name. Right. <laughs> quick quick sidetrack into the soft side of Rudy and dogs. Uh, today, we were somebody had a dog on the floor that was uh, sleeping, and as we walked by, I heard Rudy go, there's a sleeping dog over there. <laughs> 
I love him. <laughs> wait, wait, wait. Serious question. Did it have Sir Didymus on its back? Uh, was it a golden retriever? No. No, um, it's a husky. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If you see a, a, a dog with Sir Didymus on its back, that's my sister's service dog. Oh, oh I've yeah. seen him around. That's awesome. yeah, yeah. He's cosplaying. Yes. Um, we had a, a, a puppeteer from um, who worked on the labyrinth stop and say, Jim would have loved that. Oh, it was yeah, like, yeah, yeah. oh my gosh. That's amazing. Right? Right? Wow. Okay, sorry. Sidetrack, you can edit it out. <laughs> <laughs> we won't. <laughs> uh, Sean Merwin, where can people find you? I don't know if I can follow a Jim Henson reference. <laughs> I've got a tear. Uh, you can find me at Sean Merwin on Twitter. I do a podcast every week called mm-hmm. Down with D&D on the uh, misdirected Mark uh, network, which is like a certain blog uh, n- nominated for an Emmy. Ah, yes, yeah, they might win tonight. That's right. Uh, yep, uh, oh, uh, Dan uh, Dillon. You can find me on Twitter at dan underscore dillon underscore one. It's um, <laughs> very, ori- very original. Much. I know. I know. Uh, they, they, yeah, there's a lot of us. Uh, be careful. I've been. Yeah, people have mistweeted. <laughs> uh, I'm also on Facebook, uh, Daniel.p.dylan, uh, and I, I'm one of the moderators on the fifth edition Dungeons and Dragons uh, Facebook discussion group. We're closing in on twenty thousand members, and we'd love to talk D and D and talk about help out and answer questions. And, yeah, a little bit. But it's fun, and I do it for some reason. So <laughs> nice. And Jeff Greiner, where can people find you? Primarily right here on The Tome Show at thetomeshow.com, although I am on Twitter as Squatch, S-Q-U-A-C-H. Nice, nice. Uh, and, you know, if you post something over on The Tome Show's Facebook page at facebook.com slash thetomeshow, uh, I get all those notifications, too. So. Whereas James does all the work on the Facebook page, I get all the notifications. <laughs> uh, and uh, thank you, everybody who is assembled here. Please give yourselves a round of applause. This was a lot of fun. Uh, let's go drink free beers. <laughs> and before we go, there's a quick final segment. We have to do our DM's Guild Pick of the Episode. Today's DM's Guild Pick of the Episode is a guide to Tyranny of Dragons from Sean McGovern. This is a pay-what-you-want product. It is already a copper bestseller, and you can see why. Because it's designed to help DM's prepare and run both Horde of the Dragon Queen and Rise of Tiamat. Inside, there's notes on every chapter, ways to link things together, clarification on confusing sections, breakdowns of council members, of Water Deep and that long journey in Horde of the Dragon Queen. It will help you run adventures you already own much better. There is a direct link to a guide to Tyranny of Dragons in the show notes for this episode at thetomeshow.com. I'd like to thank my guests, Rudy Basso, Liz Tice, Sean Merwin, Dan Dillon, and of course, the one and only Jeff Greiner. All right, people, you can find me on Twitter at James Intricasso. That's at J-A-M-E-S-I-N-T-R-O-C-A-S-O. And you can check out my blog, which is all about Exploration Age, the 5th edition D&D world I'm building over at worldbuilderblog.me. We just won an any for that. Uh, I could not be more excited. So check it out, worldbuilderblog.me. 
All right, everybody, thanks for listening. Thanks to Jeff Greiner for letting us join the Tome Show lineup. Our theme music, which you're listening to right now, was composed by Eric Michaels. Don't forget to go to thetomeshow.com and use the affiliate links whenever you shop on Amazon or the DMs Guild to help support the show. And hey, if you like the show, please rate the Tome Show on iTunes and like us on Facebook. Keep on rolling and keep on listening to The Roundtable.